So as we continue today in our Identity Crisis series, we're going to talk about something that may on the surface seem obvious to you. And so I'm just going to give you my main point right now. I usually don't do this right up front, but right now I'm going to give you my main point, and it's this. Jesus loves you. That's pretty simple, right? We could all pray and go home right now, but I want to give you a little more to that. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about love and what love means in our society today. Uh, a group of, I found this uh, this week, a group of four through eight-year-olds were asked, what does love mean? All right, four-year-olds to eight-year-olds were asked, what does love mean? This is some of the answers that they gave. Some were pretty profound. Uh, some were just kind of funny. So here, here's one. Uh, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. That's great definition of love. Uh, Love is when you go out to eat and you give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. My daughters last night gave me all their French fries. Thank you, girls. Um, And I didn't eat them either, but I ate them. Uh, When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. (laughs) We know where they get that. (laughs) Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. That's nice. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. When you tell someone something bad about yourself and you're scared they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, they love you even more. That's love. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Denzel Washington. Oh, that's love. (laughs) Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him home alone all day. If you have a dog, you know that kind of love. And then I love this one. Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. I love that. We use the word love pretty flippantly in our society, don't we? I mean, like, I love your hair. I love the Colts. I love nachos. I love my wife. Really? I mean, that's all the same word. It all means the same thing. Well, I don't think it does, and we're going to talk about that today as we continue in Identity Crisis. What we're doing, in case you haven't been with us, is we're walking through the book of Ephesians. It's a book in the New Testament. It was written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter to the church in Ephesus, and we're spending eight weeks uh, on this book, and uh, Ephesians has six chapters, and so we're inviting everyone to read a chapter a day. You, You read a chapter a day, you get through the whole book by Saturday, you take Sunday off when you come to church, and then you start all over again the next week. And so that's that's our goal. It was written by a man named Paul, as I said. Paul, we know, is in prison. Uh, We talked about that last week and what it meant for him to suffer. And uh, this church in Ephesus is a church that was planted by the Apostle Paul. And so he planted this church, and then he left, and he went and planted other churches. And then somewhere about eight to ten years later, he hears some things that are going on in the church, and he decides to write this letter back to the church in Ephesus to remind them who they are. He's reminding them that their identity is in Christ. And through this series, we've been reminded, too, that our identity is not in what we've done It's not in who we were. Uh, In fact, we can't even have our identity come from inside of us. It's like this. Um, I got a new debit card for the fourth time this year, a couple weeks ago. Um, My bank apparently keeps having our debit cards compromised. My bank is not doing it, but our debit cards have been compromised. You've heard about all the security breaches this year uh, with Home Depot and Jimmy John's and several others. And so every time there's one, I get a new debit card. And I've taken to not signing the back of my debit and credit cards. You guys probably know that trick, that if you don't sign it, that the cashier is supposed to ask you for ID, right? Because the truth is I can say I am whoever I believe I am. Right, But that doesn't hold any water with a cashier at the local mire uh, that they're supposed to have a third party 
vouch for you, right? And so in our case, what we're supposed to do is show our driver's license, which means that there is a third party, another authority that has looked at your identity and verified that's who you are. In this case, it's the state of Indiana. The state of Indiana is vouching for me that I am who I say I am. Well, in our lives, if you're a Christian, what we've said is that your identity doesn't come from inside of you. It comes from completely outside of you. In fact, it comes from Jesus Christ, that our identity is in Christ. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. In week one, we said that Paul spends a lot of time laying this out as the foundation in the book of Ephesians. In fact, the first three chapters of the six chapters of Ephesians are all about reminding this church who they are. He reminds them of who they are before he goes on to tell them how they're supposed to live. And so while Paul wrote this letter to a specific church in the first century AD, now I believe, we believe, there's so much rich application for us today. And so that's why we're spending eight weeks on this fairly short letter. So today, we're going to look at the last of the who we are verses uh, before we go on to the how we live part. And so Paul's about to turn a corner. And so this passage closes the part of the letter where he's addressing the who we are. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Ephesians 3, um, and we'll talk about that. He's going to dive into, after this week, he's going to dive into the how we live part. And so I think Paul was intentional about reminding us about this foundation. And this foundation that he's going to remind us of uh, this week is of the love of Christ. What we're going to see is a prayer that the Apostle Paul has for the Ephesians, that they would understand their love. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians in the New Testament, you can turn there. If you have uh, an, an iPad or a phone or something that you read your Bible on, go ahead and do that. If you don't, there's a Bible like this sitting around you somewhere. You're, feel free to pick that up. And if you don't own a Bible, take it with you today because it's, your, it's our gift to you. It's on page 815 in this Bible. If you have that one in front of you, Ephesians 3 is where we're going to start. And as we finish up, we're going to see this prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for his audience. He, he's right in the middle of this letter, okay? He's at the end of chapter three out of six chapters and he stops in the middle of his thought and he prays this prayer for the people in Ephesus. What a great reminder to us that we don't have to wait for a specific time of day to stop and pray, that your heavenly father wants to hear from you all the time. And so throughout our day, when things cross our mind that we should be praying about or that we should be praying for, we don't have to wait until the next appropriate time to pray. We don't have to wait before our next meal or wait till before bedtime or wait until we're meeting with that prayer partner of ours that we can stop and we can pray whenever we want. Like in the middle of your day, when you're doing chores or when you're in a meeting or when you're in the midst of a conversation, you can stop and pray. While you're driving, you can stop and pray. I don't recommend closing your eyes while you're driving and praying. Keep your eyes open, but you can still pray in the middle of that. We can pray anytime. We ha- you have a heavenly father who wants to hear from you. He wants to listen to you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He is jealous for that. And so let's enter into this prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying uh, for the church in Ephesus. Again, Ephesians 3, we're going to start with verse 14. Ephesians three fourteen. I just told you what page it was on and then I skipped it. It says this, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There it is again, identity, right? Every family on heaven and earth derives his name. I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and here's the prayer, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness 
of God. What a great prayer. You know, this week, while you're spending time alone with your heavenly father, that's a pray, prayer you can pray for yourself. You should pray for yourself, that you would have the power, along with all God's holy people, along with all the saints, if you're a uh, King James person, along with all the saints, to grasp, and that word grasp means to fully understand, okay, to, to get your arms around, to embrace how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Now, I want to be clear, this is not just a feel-good prayer, all right? Hopefully, if you pray that, you do feel good about it, but it's not just a feel-good prayer. It is so important. It's important, as Paul says in verse 17, to be rooted and established in that love. It's so important that Paul stopped in the middle of this letter to write that prayer out to this church in Ephesus. And so it's important for you to pray it when you're spending time alone with your heavenly Father this week. You know, Jesus' love for us back in Ephesians 3 uh, was called a great mystery. That word mystery is used six times in Ephesians, usually referring to uh, this, uh, this relationship we have with Christ. And by mystery, the author means, Paul means, it's something that was previously unknown to us that has been made known to us in Christ. And so that's true for the church then, because if you think about it, many of the people that were hearing about that then were alive before Christ, or at least before they knew who Christ was. And so the people on earth at that time would have never known that the Messiah was walking among them. But during their lifetime, it was revealed to them. This mystery that Paul's talking about was revealed to them. But it's important for us too, because for so many of us, we haven't been Christians our whole lives. Some of you aren't even believers now. And so at some point, I believe that God is going to reveal this mystery of Christ's love to you. And so as he's writing this, Paul says, it's important for you to be rooted and established in Christ's love. It's important for you to remember, to re- realize, to grasp, all right, to get a hold of how wide and long and high and deep that love is. And it's easy to look at this verse, and I know this because I've done this before, to look at this verse and kind of skip over it and say, yeah, yeah, I get it. God loves me. I I get it. Christ's love is big. It's a big love. Okay, I get it. But it's not a big love because I believe all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. God must have carefully chosen the four words that Paul uses here to describe the love of God. He says, he doesn't say it's big. He doesn't say it's great. He doesn't say it's tremendous. He says it is wide and long and high and deep. And so why would he use those words? And so that's what I want to look at today. As we look at this, I want you to, as we get ready to launch into how we should live I think it's so important, as Paul says, for us to be rooted and established in this. And so if you have your notes, um, these will be the first four points on your notes. The first one is this, Christ's love is wide. His love is wide. This means it extends across, okay? It extends across to all people, all across the globe. It's available to anyone and everyone who's willing to accept it. That means, as the book of Revelation reminds us, every tribe, every tongue, every nation on earth. It's why why here at Genesis Church, we talk about our mission and helping people find their way back to God. When we do that, we include regional and national and international missions uh, under that banner. It's why we partner with people like Nehemiah Vision Ministries for our trip uh, to Haiti. It's why we partner with uh, Last Bell Ministries in Ukraine and Frontiers in Central Asia and other missions organizations throughout the world. Because we know that Christ's love is wide, that he loves these people all across the globe. People that we may never get to see or meet are are rooted and established in the love of Christ. But it's also why we work hard to make sure that here and at both of our campuses, that everybody that walks in those doors feels welcome. 
because Christ's love extends to them too. If Christ loves them, then we need to love them too. 2 Peter 3.9 says it this way, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This love is wide. It extends to everyone. God wants no one to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Now, here's what that verse means, okay? You've ne- never, ever met a person that Christ didn't go to the cross for. You've never worked with a person that Christ didn't die for. You've never argued with a person that Christ didn't die for. You've never been cut off in traffic by a person that Christ didn't die for. You've never been married to a person that Christ didn't die for. You've never been abused by a person Christ didn't die for. You have never looked in the eye of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl for whom Christ did not go to the cross. His love is wide. And when you understand that, it changes the way you view people. It changes how you interact with people, and it helps establish and root the love of Christ in your heart. His love is wide. Number two is this. Christ's love is long. His love is long. You know, when we think about something being long, we can often think about it as a space dimension, but I believe instead that Paul is talking about a time dimension here. He's talking about length of time. It's long love, that Christ's love is long in time. First Chronicles 16.34 says it this way. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. It's so important how it shapes our view of God. You know, when we, when we stray, when we walk away, sometimes we may be afraid to come back into the fold. We may be afraid uh, to come back to church. Maybe we know we're caught in some pattern of sin or some, uh, some activities that we shouldn't be doing, and we go, you know what, I'm just going to stay away for a while because I, I don't think God's very happy with me right now. It's like there's some time limit on the love of God. But that's not what Scripture teaches. God's love isn't like that. That Christ's love is long. It endures forever. It stands the test of time. I love how pastor and author John Piper puts it in his book, Pleasures of God. He says it like this. He says, sometimes we joke and we say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. But that's because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and as handsome as we were then. We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship that fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He's talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He's trying to get into our hearts what he means when he says he rejoices over us with all his heart. And add to this that with the God, the honeymoon never ends. He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love, and so he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level of intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality, and he has decided he will keep what's good for us and change what isn't. He will, be all, he will always be as handsome as he ever was, and will see to it that we will get more and more beautiful forever, and he infinitely creative. Uh, He's infinitely creative to think of new things to do together so that there will be no boredom for the next trillion ages of millenniums. I mean, think about this. Even if your marriage is a raging success, and I know there are people in our church that have been married for uh, getting close to 60 years, and there are some of you who have been married for less than a year. If your marriage is a raging success, that love still has an end. There's a likelihood that you promised Uh, in your wedding vows till death do us part, right? 
But Christ's love has no end. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. His love is eternal. It lasts forever. It doesn't end. The love of Christ is long. The third one is this. The, the Christ's love is high. Christ's love is high. Height in scripture is often a measure of quality. It's a measure of strength. It's a measure of comparison. Um, you know, God is higher than the heights as his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. So his ways are higher than my ways. That's what scripture says. It's not talking about height dimensionally. It's talking about height and quality. It's better. It's higher. It's a strong love is what this is saying. It's beyond compare. It's important to understand that uh, the kind of love that scripture is talking about here. And so you need to know that like, while we use love when we talk about nachos or when we talk about our wives uh, and we use the same word that the Greeks actually had four words for love. Three of them are used in some place in scripture. There's the word eros, E-R-O-S, which is where we get our word erotic. Okay. And that's a, a romantic love. It's a love between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife. Uh, there's the word storge, which is not used in scripture. Storge is a family love. It's the bond in the family. It's the love you might feel for your kids or that you feel for your parents. It's a, a, a bond that's kind of uh, confined to that family, storge. There's a third love, phileo, Phileo, P-H-I-L, is like um, is brotherly love. In fact, uh, the word Philadelphia, the, the city of Philadelphia, it's called the city of brotherly love. It's not because the people are so loving there. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, you already knew that. It comes from the word, the Greek word phileo, which means brotherly love, and delphia, which means city. Brotherly love city. I mean, how easy is that to get your name and to have a city like brotherly love? But phileo is love between brothers. It's, it's the Greek word for bromance. All right, it's, it's two men, uh, two men, two women who love each other as brothers or as sisters. And that's what phileo means. But the word that's used here is the word agape. And agape is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. One Greek dictionary says agape is the highest form of love in the Bible. It's the highest form. It's high love. And that's the word that Paul continuously uses here in Ephesians 3. It's a perfect love. You know, scripture refers to it as an unfailing love. Now, here's why this is so important to understand. Our love, no matter what kind of love we're talking about there, our love for our our spouse, our love for our kids, our love for our parents, our our love for our friends, our love has limits. I mean, our human love, most of it in, in most of our relationships is influenced at least in part by the one we are loving, right? I mean, the truth is that some of us are more lovable than others. We, we know that, we see that. Can, can we just admit that some of us are hard to love? If you think I'm looking at you right now, I'm not. I'm looking at the back wall, okay? But can we just admit that some of us are harder to love than others, right? We know that. But even the best of us are truly loved by only a few people. You know, some of us feel like we're not loved by anybody at all. But even those who do love us don't love us perfectly. That the greatest marriages have flaws, the best behaved children make mistakes and judgments. The most intentional parents don't always get this right. But there's one person who does love us perfectly and unconditionally, and it's Jesus. And that's what scripture teaches us again and again and again. The biggest mistake we can make with the love of Christ is to project our own human ability to love onto God. We can say, oh, God loves me like I love my kids, and that's true, and that's a great analogy, but, but God loves you better than you love your kids. We, we do this when we say, I know that God loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. Or, or God loves me because he has to, but there's nothing special about me that makes me special to him. But that's not scriptural, all right? You, you may think that verse isn't about me when it's talking about God's love, but it is. It's about you. 
In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to stop thinking that those, these verses aren't about you. Let me show you. Let me show you, okay, what Scripture says about God's love for you. Psalm 147.11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Turn to the person next to you say, he's talking about you. He delights in you. Psalm 139.17 says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. He's talking about you. But the best evidence you have for the, height, for the height of God's love is in Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's so important for you to really grasp this. And this is not an academic exercise. Look, if we are going to live as Jesus has called us to live, Paul says it's important that you be rooted and established in the love of Christ. And so to help you this week, maybe what you need to do is find one of these verses that really speaks to you about God's love, maybe one of these three, and memorize it, okay? But instead of memorizing it as it's written in Scripture, memorize it with your name replacing the pronoun, all right? And so the Lord delights in Robin, who fears him. You know, how precious are your thoughts about Brian? Oh God, you know, take that verse and personalize it. Put your name in there so that you know that God's talking about you. Christ died for you. That's how much he loves you. Christ's love is high. And the fourth one is this. Christ's love is deep. His love is deep. That it's not a surface level love. It goes down to our inmost parts. It's, it's beyond our actions. It goes beyond our behavior. It's not dependent on how we act or behave. We, we all know someone for whom love is a scorecard, don't we? Like you get points for certain things and you lose points for certain things. Some of us have marriages where we keep track, right? Well, you did this for me, so I'm going to do this for you, but you forgot to do that, so I'm going to accidentally forget to do this. You know, maybe it's the families we come from uh, that they keep track, that there's a scorecard. I can tell you love me by how often you come to visit. You know, your sister was here last week. Where are you? How come you haven't been here? Or, or you know, you haven't called. You haven't sent a text. Or what, what kind of gift you give tells how much you love. We tend to keep score. God doesn't keep a scorecard. Christ's love isn't like that. It's a deep love. In fact, I want you to see from Scripture some examples of the love that Christ showed, even for the ones who were against him, the ones whose behavior couldn't have won them his love. There's a scene in the Bible right before Jesus dies, the night before Christ uh, is arrested, and he's with his 12 closest followers, and Scripture says he decided to show them the fullest extent of his love. And so he got down on his knees and he started washing their feet. And and then it says something fascinating. In John 13, you can read it this week uh, if you get the chance. It's really a great uh, chapter of the Bible. It's a great insight into the love of Christ. John 13 says, says, Jesus already knew who was going to betray him. He knew it was Judas, but still in a show of deep, deep love, he got down on his knees and he washed the feet of Judas. You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, On the night he was arrested, he was trembling and shaking. He was fearing for his life. He was so afraid that scripture says that the sweat was dropping off of him like drops of blood. And and the soldiers came to arrest him. And Peter uh, drew his sword and cut the ear of one of the soldiers. And Jesus, in a show of deep love, healed the soldier who had come to arrest him. You know, as he... As he hung on the cross the next day, uh, beaten and mocked and spat upon, he had his beard pulled out and he had 
all authority, scripture tells us, he had all authority at his fingertips to do whatever he wanted to do with the men responsible. And what did he do? He cried out, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. It's a deep, deep love. You know, in every other religion, every other religion in one way or another, your final judgment is based on your behavior. It's based on your performance. We're going to keep a scorecard. We're going to see how you do at the good things and how you do at the bad things. And at the end of it all, we're going to tally it all up and we're going to see if you win or lose, but not in Christianity. In Christianity, only through Christ do we get a score based not on our performance, but on God's performance. That because Christ went to the cross for us, he took the punishment for us, he he takes the judgment for us. And so if you are in Christ, you stand here today innocent because of his great love for you, because of his deep love for you. You've been given a reprieve. You've been pardoned because Christ's love is deep. The love of Christ is a great mystery, Ephesians says. It's one that, I mean, well, it says in the passage that we read today, it surpasses all knowledge. In other words, we can study this truth for the rest of our lives and we still may never know how truly wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, but that shouldn't stop us from studying that. Karl Barth was a theologian. He was famous as a German pastor who uh, was alive during World War II. He spoke out against the Third Reich, Hitler's Third Reich in Nazi Germany. And then uh, he came on tour after World War II ended. He came on a tour through the U.S. in the late 50s and early 60s. And while he was on that tour, a reporter asked him, uh, what was the single, Carl, what's the single most important theological discovery you've ever made? And he took a long pause and he thought about it. And he said this, he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. His love is wide, it's long, it's high, and it's deep. And I pray, like Paul prayed, I pray that you would understand that, that you would grasp that. But there's one other aspect of Christ's love that we see in this chapter, and it's not immediately apparent. It's a little bit hidden. Maybe it's not obvious at first, but if you read on the last two verses verses of Ephesians 3, you'll see it right there. Uh, We'll put those up on the screen, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him to Christ, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And so the fifth dimension, I think, of Christ's power is this, or of Christ's love is this. Christ's love is powerful. Christ's love is powerful. It's so important for us to understand this, to have this foundation, especially as Paul turns the corner now. So when you go this week and you read Ephesians chapter four, he's gonna start instructing us how we should live. We've gotta understand that a lot of times we don't have the power within us to live the way that Christ calls us to live. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We are selfish, sinful beings on our own. But Christ's love is so powerful, it gives us the strength, it gives us what we need to do to live as Jesus lived, to live as he's called us to live, to to walk as Jesus walked. Let me tell you why this is so important. So in the last three chapters, God is going to use the words of the Apostle Paul to challenge us, to challenge you to some pretty high standards. He's going to call us to do some things that would be difficult or impossible to do on our own. If you've been reading along with us, maybe you've already seen some of these. Maybe you've highlighted some of these verses in your Bible and say, how am I supposed to do that? Maybe you've underlined some things and said, I don't know about this verse. And so, for, for instance, ladies, examples, ladies, if, if you're wives, if you're married, he's going to challenge you. God's going to challenge you to submit to your husband. 
Now, we don't like that word submit. I mean, even if we're in the church, we don't like the word submit. Submission is not in our vocabulary. If you are a young woman, say you're under 30, you may consider yourself a feminist. You may think, I don't need no man telling me what to do. I don't, I don't need to submit to any man, any other authority. I've got authority. I can be equal to my husband. I can be, I can be who I want to be. The Lord says, submit to your husband. You can't do that on your own. But with the power of Christ living in you, you can do that. Similarly, husbands, he's going to challenge you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, you may think, well, that's easy. She gets to submit to me. She has to submit to me, and I just have to love her. But then it says, even to the point of laying down your life for her. Now, I want to tell you, there's no exemption in Scripture for those few days a month when she's not very lovable. (laughs) Like when the mortgage is due or when the kids aren't behaving. Whatever other days those may be, you may be thinking, we shouldn't talk about that stuff in church, but this is real. I mean, we got real issues we're talking about here. You can't always love your wife. Your wife is not always lovable, and certainly not to the point, I don't know how many of you wake up every morning and think, well, I would die for my wife today. I hope you do, but laying down your life also means lay down your lifestyle. Like There are things that you need to do that your wife needs from you that you're not willing or able to provide on your own. You gotta put your wife's needs ahead of your needs. If you're like me, you can't do that on your own. But with the power of Christ's love living in you, you can. He's gonna challenge all of us to speak no unwholesome words. Zero. Speak no unwholesome words, but only words which are useful for building one another up. Anybody do that all day, every day? That's difficult. It's a zero tolerance policy for profanity and for cutting humor. But with the power of Christ's love living in you, you can do it. You've got to be rooted and established in his love. He's going to challenge you to forgive one another and to have not even a hint of sexual impurity and to not go to bed angry and to honor your father and your mother at all times and to not exasperate your children. And you may think, I can't do all those things. But scripture tells us, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do what? I can do all. All this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. Christ's love gives us the power to operate in areas we are not capable of operating in on our own. His love is wide and it's long and it's high and it's deep and it's powerful. But there's one more thing. Here's the key. And I hope you didn't miss this when we read through Ephesians 3.20. It says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we, what's that word? Ask or imagine. There's the key. We've got to ask. We've got to be willing to ask. A lot of us can imagine what our lives would be like if we had a better marriage or a better relationship with our kids or a better relationship with our parents or what it would be like if we could harness our tongue or or we could break that habit. But we're not willing to ask. God wants you to ask him. You got to say the words. Hear the words come out of your mouth. When you're spending time alone with your heavenly father this week, ask him to show you the powerful love of Christ living in you. Ask him to let that be what guides you. Say the words when you're talking to him this week. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for even the dimensions of your love that I understand. And I know I've just scratched the surface this morning. But God, I'm thankful that you've given us that love and you've given us your word to to dive into that. And for those who are here this morning and they came in thinking, you know what? I think God's kind of angry with me today. Our relationship's a little bit strained. I've not been doing the right things. I'm on the wrong path. 
Lord, I pray that this insight that you've given us this morning into your love will just lead them back the right direction. Just, just gently nudge them back onto the right path. God, I pray that as a church, we would be rooted and established in the love of Christ. That is, as we move forward and we start talking about how we should act and how we should behave and what it means to go change the world for the name of Christ, God, that we would always do it, not out of our own selfish ambition or out of a motivation to make us famous, God, but out of the love that you showed for us on the cross and the love that you had for us, the the love that is wide and long and high and deep and filled with power. God, I thank you that you took a whole morning to show us that this morning. And I thank you that, and I just trust that you want to show us that the rest of the week, Lord. God, I, I lift up people uh, who are here today who are not rooted in the love of Christ, that they don't have that relationship with you. I, I, I pray this morning that you would be nudging them in the right direction, that you would help them to see that you've got a love that is not like anything of this earth and that you desire a relationship with them, that you are jealous for them, that you created them and you love them and you sent your son to the cross for them and you want to enter into a relationship, God, where you can show them how to live through your love. Man, if you're in this room today and, and that sounds like you and you think, you know what, today's the day, I just need to surrender, you can pray this prayer with me. Just pray, God, I need you in my life. I want to know that love of Christ. I want you to come into my life and rule over my life. I need you to send your Holy Spirit in me to show me how to live. If you just pray that prayer, welcome to the family of God. God, for for those of us who now go and we're gonna leave this room in a few minutes and we gotta go live our lives, would you help us to stay rooted and established in that love of Christ? Thank you so much for that. We pray that this week that we would have the power along with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.